Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. I'm Nathan Owens, and as usual, sitting across the desk from me is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Uh, Good evening, Brother Nathan, and let me welcome those who are listening to the program. Thank you so much for allowing us to come into your home. It's not just about you listening, although we are very thankful that you're listening, but we also want you to go to the next level and ask any question that is on your mind or that is on your heart. Maybe it's something that has been discussed at your workplace. Maybe it's someone asked you a question, even in an argumentative tone, trying to uh, undermine your belief in the Bible or in Christianity. Maybe it's someone that sincerely asked a question about why the Bible says something or doesn't teach on a particular topic or doesn't say something. Maybe it's a concern that you have. Go ahead and contact us here, and we will be glad to answer your questions from a biblical worldview. Now, if you were listening last week, we are going to pick up our topic that we were discussing and ran out of time. If you weren't listening last week, not a problem. We are going to start out with a quick summary of the information that was discussed. And we started a topic last week on the topic of the providence of God. Pastor, when we say that God is a provident God or has providence, what do we mean there, providential? Uh, yeah, we're talking about the fact that um, God has not only originated creation, but the fact that he has an ongoing relationship with creation in terms of uh, caring for it, guiding it, and directing it towards his own predetermined ends. So it basically has two concepts in it. It has the idea of preservation, uh, where he's preserving creation, preserving especially his people. And it has the idea also of his governing of, of this world of fears, uh, where he's directing and guiding towards certain um, predetermined ends and purposes that he has established. So that's the basic concept, control and uh, care. You were mentioning last week as we were talking about the providence of God, the impact that has on Christians. Is it important to believe this doctrine? Yeah, I think uh, last time we suggested to you that uh, one of the things, well, not one of the things, several things uh, about the promise of God, uh, the fact that we know that he's in control, that he's caring and preserving his own people, etc., it should give us tremendous optimism and confidence so that we can live uh, calm lives, we can have a great uplift and not be uh, overly burdened with anxiety. So we have the assurance that he has this continuing active care of his people, and that should give us um, a great sense of hope and optimism so that things are not perceived as uh, happening randomly or haphazardly. 
but uh, behind all the events of life that happens to the believer, that he has these things under control. And, and also, Brother Nathan, the fact that if God is actively involved and he is eminent in creation uh, and he has all power and all might, it means that our prayers uh, can affect change because he has directed us to pray towards that end. And again, that should help uh, us have a confidence that when we pray, that there's a God answer, a God that will answer our prayer. And then when we face danger and, and things like the COVID, for example, uh, we the fact that we know that in spite of all that has taken place, that it could not have happened except he had permitted it, and he has his own divine purpose behind all that is happening. Uh, so even, even in this whole thing, we know that he's aware of it, he's involved in the whole process, and that should give us some measure of, of relief in terms of anxiety that we face uh, it's not just an accident. Uh, it is all part of a divine plan that gives us this uh, optimism as believers as we live our daily lives. Well, Pastor, if God is in control and he still has his hands or his fingers involved in the aspects of each of our lives, why does God allow the loss of a loved one? Well, there's several things here. Number one, um, remember that whether we want it to believe, believe it or not, the wages of sin is death. So death is inevitable. The fact that human uh, transgress God's law and we've got the Adamic nature. The reality is that we are all destined to die. That is something that we have to face, we have to accept. And um, unless our Lord returns with a rapture and take us out who are believers, we've got to face the reality that all is going to die. So that is, that is a given that because of our fallen nature, we're going to die. The other thing is that um, there are cases in the scriptures where um, some things are for the glory of God, and, and sometimes people die for the glory of God. I think also the fact that we can get so attached to th material things, we can get attached to uh, human aspects of, of our, our existence, that we get so attached to these things that sometimes God have to remove these things to, to, so that we have a better perspective on life. And then also I think to, to take us beyond the, the uh, confinement of a horizontal life and help us understand there's something far beyond what we can see on our horizons, that there is an eternal uh, existence. The fact that we are going to die and that people die always awaken us, make us very conscious of our own mortality, and it also makes us conscious that this life is not the end of our existence, that's another life to go on. And I think periodically we need to be awakened to that because we forget. We, get, we Our lives become so normal, everything is happening okay, we're healthy, etc., etc. We've we got money in the bank, we've got all this kind of stuff. And before you know it, we are distracted and we, we forget that we're here for a period of time and that life is just a preamble to eternity and therefore we ought to be preparing for the next life. And not only that, the, the, the fact that people die should incentivize us to understand we have a responsibility of evangelism because if people die and it's not just the grave, now if it was just the grave, it's the grave, but if you're going uh, beyond the grave and you're dealing with judgment and, and condemnation, etc., uh, we should be uh, stimulated or galvanize or encourage or motivated to um, to want to uh, share the glad tidings with those people who are not saved because we, we are very much aware that they are going to die. Uh, so I think those are four, four, five, four good, good reasons, but there may be other reasons as well that God has in the, in the whole process. The first time I became aware of death was I had a friend, he died when he was about 14 years old, I was about 12 years old. Mm. And to be very honest with you, he, he died of some kidney problem. But we looked almost identical. 
And I remember looking at him in the grave and seeing my face. And at that tender age, death was became, became very real to me. The other thing is that even though he had died, when I went to the shop and I did things for my mom, people would call, call think I'm he or he, you know, etc. And it kept me aware of how uh, how mortal I am, how fat that I'm going to die. So from a very early age, that woke me up to the reality that death is very, very, very real. Uh, so I think God has different purposes, but I think... Um, those four I've mentioned, I think, are very helpful in understanding it. But the fact is, Brother Nathan, that whether we are Christian or non-Christian, we're destined to die, and we ought to prepare to meet God. And that's the whole mission of our life right now. Seventy years is nothing to compare with eternity. It's like a, it's like a grain of sand on the o- in the ocean. That's what our years to eternity. And I think we ought to be much more aware. We would not design that we live on planet Earth forever. This is a, this is a pilgrimage towards the new Jerusalem, as it were, and we, and we forget that all the time, and we get so ingrained in this whole thing that we just forget that this is not this is not our this is not where we belong. Quite frankly, our citizenship is in heaven. So you said that we should be preparing to meet God. What does that mean? How do I prepare to meet God? Well, the only place to prepare to meet God is to have a relationship with Him. And that relationship starts with putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, and that's the whole mission why Christ was sent to planet Earth, really, to uh, so that man may be pardoned, sins might be forgiven, and that he might be restored to a relationship with God so that uh, he prepares to meet God in eternity. So the only way to really prepare to meet God, quite frankly, is to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and receive Him as Savior. Last week, you were mentioning that... There was the God preserves his creation and God preserves his people. And if I remember correctly, as we were running out of time, you were mentioning that God preserved Israel. Any other thoughts you want to share along those lines? Well, um, I kind of went through several areas in which we saw that preservation of Israel in terms of the genocidal attempt to destroy Israel in Egypt. Uh, we also talk about the fact of the preservation of Israel through sending Joseph ahead, so that uh, even though the brothers intended ill will and malice towards him, um, God had um, foreseen that the famine was coming and Israel needed to be preserved. We also talk about the fact that um, Mordecai attempted to destroy Israel, and uh, the tables were turned upon him in the most unexpected way, and uh, that was preservation. And when you go into the the Canaan, they were going into Canaan, the kind of victories that they had and the battles that they overcame and the greater nations that they overcame, uh, in spite of the fact that they had no militaristic experience, uh, also indicates that God was preserving them through and give, giving them different types of victories. And then, of course, in the, in the case of the uh, Daniel and the Hebrew boys, how God protected them in the furnace and God protected them in the lands then. So uh, you can see from uh, those aspects that God was wonderfully at work uh, in terms of his preservation of Israel. Um, also, I might mention, Nathan, that the Lord himself, our Lord Jesus himself, uh, talked about God's work of caring for his people and preserving his people as well. I don't know if you want to look at Matthew chapter um, 6, verse 26, and Matthew six thirty. Matthew six twenty six reads as follows. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are ye not of more value than they? And then verse 30. 
But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So not only is preserving Israel, as we saw, but uh, in terms of his church, his people today, our Lord is speaking to his providential care that, you know, if, if your father is taking care of the birds and the, and the bees, basically, uh, it's inconceivable that he would not take care of you. The, the, the logic of that is that if he takes care of the lesser animals, basically, why would he not take care of the, the greater creation, which is humanity? And why would he not ca- take care of, the, of his own people? So he's saying to us, quite frankly, that God is preserving, God is caring for his, not only Israel, but his people today. Look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 27, 28, verse 29, 30, and 31. Matthew 10, 27. 28, 28. Matthew 10, 28 says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And then verse 29 to 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are not are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, are you of more value than many sparrows? Yeah. Again, the, uh, you, you think of the logic of that, appealing to logic, that he is assuring the believers and the Christian and those who follow him that God has their number. God will take care. And God is taking care of these lesser uh, creatures. And to think about that, think about the little uh, insignificant fact that he says that God even knows every hair on your head. Now you think about that for just a moment. That seems so insignificant in life, but if if that insignificant matter is known to God, Imagine uh, the thought that why would he not know about the greater things of my needs? And that's the point he's contrasting here, that God's infinite knowledge of us also indicates his, his, his concern and his care. So not only did uh, we find that, that when it comes to preservation, we not only have it in the Old Testament, but we have it also confirmed by Christ himself. Uh, yeah. Something that just struck me as you were talking about the fact that he knows the numbers of the hair, mm-hmm. that's changing every single day. <laughs> <laughs> and if if he's aware of the fact of how many hair are, are on my head every day, he's uh, aware, like you were saying, but just the fact that he's constantly aware. It's not just at the beginning of my life or the January 1st of every year. It's every day. But think about, think, let me give you something even more profound than that. Uh, the book, the Bible also teaches that he knows the number of the stars. Mm-hmm. Now think about that for just a moment. In our galaxy, we have over a billion stars. And within the galaxies, uh, there are billion galaxies. Now think about that. So your hair has nothing to compare. He knows every star by name. That is, I mean, that is so overwhelming. You know, people are awesome. Now that's something awesome to think yeah. of that, that incomprehensible concept that God's knowledge is so extensive that he knows every single star. So that gives you an idea of how much he knows. The other uh, person that um, that emphasizes this matter of God's care and God's um Concern for the p- believer is, is the Apostle Paul. Uh, look at John, uh, Mark, sorry, Romans chapter 8. And uh, he asks a question in verse 35, and then he gives the answer in verse 38 and 39. All right. Romans 8, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword? And verse 
38 and 39 answers with, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul asks a question, who can separate us from the love of God? And uh, he rehearses various possibilities and then he comes to the conclusion. The point that Paul is emphasizing here is the inseparability of the believer from God's love and God's care. So there's no better way to express that. It's one of the most magnificent passages in Scripture. And if you would just get hold of it, uh, quite frankly, it shows you that his his care and his love is inseparable as far as uh, the believer is concerned. So that is emphasized. Our Lord also in John chapter 10, verse 27 to 30, is another interesting passage. John 10, 27 to 30 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I will give them unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. That again talks about the eternal security of the believer, and the emphasis there is the inseparability between the believer and God. And uh, that involves God's preservation. So whatever happens in life for the believer, he can be absolutely sure he cannot be snatched out of God's hand because he's in God's care. Can I fall out of God's hand or can I jump out of God's hand? Well, according to Scripture, unless you're stronger than God, you can do it. But the Bible makes it quite clear that you're no match for God and God has promised to preserve the believer. Remember Paul says, He which has begun a good work and you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God has pledged that and God has promised that. So once a person has put their faith and trust in Christ and truly is converted and, and regenerated and justified before God, that justified, regenerated believer is eternally secure forever. Nothing can uh, take the believer out of our, our Lord's care. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 748. We still have over an hour in this episode of That's Truth. Plenty of time for you to send in your questions, but go ahead and send them in. If you'd like to call and ask your question live on the air, the number to call is 268-462-7420. Live on the air, 268-462-7420. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, send it to 268 782 one four five four, or you can go to Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. Click on the Facebook Live video feed, and right there on your device, you can comment your question, your suggested topic. Again, we are always open to and looking for your input on a topic that you would like discussed here on That's Truth. Topics that are close to you, affecting you, on your mind, that you're spending a lot of time thinking about or even worried about, those are the things that we want to discuss here on That's Truth because this program is here for you to be able to answer your questions and to better ground you in a biblical worldview. No matter how you are joining us tonight, we are glad that you have made time in your Tuesday evening to join us on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, online at www.radiolighthouse.org, or maybe you're on Facebook, or maybe you're watching this program later in the archive on Facebook or listening to the podcast. No matter what the case, welcome, and we look forward to your interaction here on That's Truth. We're talking about the fact that God is 
the providence of God and what that means in the year 2021 with COVID, with terrorist attacks around the world, with cancer, with uncertainty in each of our lives. Pastor, do you think COVID was allowed by God in order to be a wake-up call for the church? I think we kind of alluded to that last week, that uh, there's no question that God either deliberately directs matters or he permits it. In either case, if it happens, it means God has allowed it to happen. And I I don't have any doubt in my mind, as I said last week, that uh, God has allowed this to happen. And I can see, I mean, without even knowing into the mind of God, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, uh, I think that this earth and this world needed a wake-up call. Uh, It is becoming desperately wicked and people have gotten away from biblical truth. They don't have time for church, even even children. Parents are no longer sending the children to church. And I think we became such a secularized society that all we are concerned about material things. And uh, we have forgotten uh, what the whole purpose of life is about. And sometimes we need something very drastic to wake us up to the reality that uh, life is, is, is far more serious than we pretend it to be. And God needs to get our attention. I think nothing in my lifetime has brought uh, people's attention more than this this, this particular thing. Even now, it's an ongoing um, awareness that people have. Pastor, we have a caller from Bendel's Antigua. Thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question, please. Good evening. Hi, Mr. Williams. I missed you last week. Uh, good yeah, hearing you yeah, again. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'll sit back there for last week. That's okay, sir. Uh, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. What can we do for you tonight? Yes, I'm Pastor Murphy, uh, Acts chapter 10. Uh-huh. When Cornelius get division, get the angel, when the angel come to Cornelius, uh-huh. uh, the Bible tells us about Cornelius was a man that prayed uh-huh. and fear God with all his household. Right? Can a man fear God and pray and he's not a Christian? Yeah, because uh, uh, Cornelius is what you call a proselyte. A proselyte was a person who accepted the Jewish religion. Remember, he's a Gentile. He's a Roman soldier. But even in, in in New Testament times, a person can, um, you know, all the paganism, the pantheon of gods that the Greeks had and the Romans had, uh, and remember that the Jews are all over this. Uh, in spite of their not accepting the Messiah, they were using the Old Testament and uh, using the law, calling people back to God, talking about Jehovah, etc., etc. And some of these pagans began to realize that the Roman gods were just men. Quite frankly, and uh, they were came under the influence of the the Old Testament and the teaching of the Jews, and they would have joined themselves to the Jews and uh, part of the temple, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So part of being a Jew, um, becoming a prophet of Jew, would involve reading the the Torah, also praying, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So Cornelius is a man that is searching for truth, and uh, and that's the thing you got to understand about him. He's praying. He's not a saved man yet. But he's praying for more light and for more light. He comes and he comes under the influence of the Jews and he hears about this God. He he wants to find out more about this God. But meanwhile, he's praying and he's he's being a very devout person. So he's he's doing a lot of religious things. And his real concern is he wants the truth. And when I, you know, I am convinced of this. If a man responds to the light that God has given to him, 
God will give him more light. And that is exactly what happened with Cornelius. He had limited light as how to be saved. He's following that light that God has given to him. And now God is ready to bring greater light into his life. And God speaks to him to an angel, telling him to go and call for, for Peter, etc., etc. So that's a perfect example of when God gives us light and we respond to light, God gives us more light. And that's the question people ask. And what happened to the heathen that had never heard the gospel? Well, here's a perfect example. Uh, this guy didn't know Jesus Christ, but he, he had a certain amount of light. And he responded to that light, and God gave him more light and more light and more light. So the heathen that doesn't know Jesus Christ, he knows there's a creator. He, he responds to that creator and adores that creator and asks that creator for more light. Believe you me, if a person approaches God, God will give him more light, and he responds more light until finally he comes to the fullness of light. That's how God operates. To him that have should be given. To him that hath not, even that which he have should be taken. That's what our Lord said. And in the case of Cornelius, he had this um, core faith, uh, but not fully informed as to how to be saved. Because he acted on that, God brought more light and sent uh, Peter. Pastor, uh, let me just ask a question. I say this to say that uh, if God reveal a message to someone to you, and God will communicate with you to tell you about that same message, like how He communicated with Peter with Cornelius. Well, look, I am not going to get into the, the, the details of that. There are people that would, uh, who have been led directly by God speaking. I have no question about that. You read George Mueller's life. You read Charles Spurgeon's life. People say something God can't speak. He only speaks through the Word. Generally speaking, God speaks through the Word. But I have no doubt in my mind there are times when God speaks directly to people, either through an impression in the heart or even a voice that can happen. And I'm not, as long as that what that person is told is not contrary to Scripture, that's my problem with people who say that the Lord told them that, and then when you look at what they're saying in comparison to Scripture, you can realize it's a contradiction. Um, I was dealing with somebody sometime this week, and I was uh, explaining to the person, they're saying that they're right with God, and I couldn't convince them they're right with God. And I said to them, but you can't be right with God and live in this kind of a sinful life. And I, the person was actually living in, in adultery. And I'm trying to say to them, you can't, you can't be right with God and living in adultery. You, it's, just, it's just completely contrary to Scripture. But it didn't matter what I said. Uh, they're convinced that uh, what they're doing is, you know, they know it's wrong. But as they, people say, God understands. So there are people, uh, quite frankly, that will tell you that they're, like this person is telling me they're right with God. I'm saying you cannot be right with God and live in this kind of a sinful life. I, I don't argue with people like that. I just give to the facts. And I say, well, I can't convince you, but I'm telling you what the Word of God says. So there are, there are, there are people uh, that no matter what you do, uh, and, and no matter what scriptural evidence you bring to bear upon their conscience, they are blinded, believe you me, morally blinded. Sometimes their conscience is so seared that they're living such a, a wicked, evil life that they still have the idea that they're doing God's work or they're involved in, 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 in serving the Lord. But uh, to be very honest with you, there are people who, are, who pray, people who read the scriptures, who are searching. Uh, they're not too sure what to really believe. I think if they follow that light, I think God would give them more light. God is a God like that. He, uh, you know, he's a, he's a God that every, remember what it says in John? Uh, he was the life and the life of the light of men and light shineth in the darkness, darkness comprehended it not, et cetera, et cetera. But he, Christ came to give light to men 
and uh, he lighted up every man the Bible said come up into the world he w- is ready to enlighten people and inform people and, and guide them but again you have to respond to that light that you have we, we are not responsible where we were born I was born in the Caribbean where the, the, the people had the gospel before my time I'm a first generation believer uh, had the missionaries not come to my home uh, in the 60s, I would have been a lost person. I can't explain to you why God sent them to the Barbados and sent them to my mom's house to start a Bible club. Uh, but I had to respond to the light that I was given. And uh, eventually I came to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, so that's how God operates. Okay, then. Thank you. You're welcome, sir. God bless you. Thanks. Say, okay, hi, then, say, hi, say hi to the wife, please. Yes, good night. Thanks for calling in and have a safe night and continue encouraging others to tune into That's Truth. So, Pastor, am I understanding you correctly to say that God wants to be found? Of course. Uh, He said, for example, he said, if you seek me with all your heart, what happened? You're going to find me. I mean, that's a promise. I mean, that is something you can take to the bank as far as God is concerned. So if a man really seeks God, God said, you'll be found, you'll find me. So I think that people who uh, question what happened to people who don't know God or who are heathen, that's a promise. If a heathen man is truly seeking God and really desires to find God, he will find God. God will bring somebody along the way. And by the way, Nathan, if you read some of the missionary stories, when they went to different parts of the world, they said, we knew you were coming because either they had a dream or they had something that happened. Even now what's going on in the Muslim world, I think you've heard about it. There are many Muslims that have turned into Christ and they're saying, quite frankly, the Lord appeared to them in, in a dream or vision. Who am I to dispute those kind of realities? Uh, you know, we in the West, because we've got a Bible, we said, but you know, the Bible, yeah, but those people in those countries don't have the, the, the liberty and the freedom to have an open Bible. So God speaks to them in, in different miraculous ways. He, let us not box God in. Let God be God. It's only when somebody says something contrary to God's word, we know that that cannot be and will not be the actions of God. If you're interested in hearing some of those testimonies the pastor was just referencing of how God is uh, appearing to Muslims and is working in the Muslim world, be sure to tune into Voice of the Martyrs here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse at 7.30 on Friday evenings. There's another airing also over the weekend, but on 7.30s, On Friday evenings, Voice of the Martyrs, a very powerful 30-minute program, and it's up-to-date testimonies of how God is working in today's world, even in Afghanistan and some of these countries where there's great turmoil. It's great to hear how God is a God of providence and is working things out for his purpose. You were talking about his preservation and giving some examples of how he preserves any other... Yeah, let me, let me um, you know, because everybody today is uh, panicking about climate change, and uh, I think when you go into the, the Bible as well, you see that the biblical writers let us know that God is the one that controls uh, the elements, what God is preserving. So we don't have to panic, to be very honest with you. But I just want you to look at one or two verses with me, please. Look at Psalm 104, where David is given a hymn of praise, and he's emphasizing the 
and the way that God preserves his creation. It's not just dependent upon man. God is uh, actually active preserving. Look at Psalm 104, verse 5, verse 10, verse 13, verse 20 to 21. All right. Psalm 104, verse 5 says, He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. Okay, verse 10. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. Verse 13. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. And then if you look at verse 20 and verse 21. You make darkness and it is night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. Verse 24 to 30. Verse 24 says, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships, the Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. Verse 28 says, when you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. In verse 30, when you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. I mean, you, you think of if we would spend some time meditating on a verse like this. Yeah. I mean, from the mountains to the watering of the thing, from the sea, God supplying, uh, not only giving life, but controlling life, withholding and yet going. I mean, that's the problem with us today. We don't have that meditative spirit that reflects on, on truth like this. So therefore, we panic when we hear about climate, climate change and all this kind of thing. But clearly, uh, the psalmist sees God as in control of his creation, providing for his creation, preserving his creation, bringing rain, etc. Another, look at Job, um, Job 5.10. Job 5.10 says, Who giveth rain upon the earth, and sendeth waters upon the fields? If you ask, if you ask people today, what will tell you? <laughs> Mother Nature. <laughs> Mother Nature. But you see, these, these people lived in an atmosphere of uh, divine thinking. Everything was God in their minds. Their minds was God. God filled everything. So therefore, they saw things from divine perspective. Today, we have become so scientifically um, secularized, if I might use that term, that we are given the impression that it's the laws of nature that produce everything that we have. And we've forgotten that uh, God is the one behind everything. He sustains it, Paul says, uh, and he holds everything together. So uh, the, the biblical writers and the biblical uh, uh, saints always looked at the whole of life from the perspective that God is the one that is responsible. He might have put laws in place, but those laws are only in place as he maintains them. Those laws are not, they're not self-sustainable per se. Everything depends upon him. Look how, would, at all, uh, how would you respond to the listener that says, but Pastor Murphy, the reason they saw God in everything mm -hmm. was because they weren't as enlightened, they weren't as knowledgeable. And today in 2021, we are so far advanced. We understand what's really going on, so we don't have to blame all these things on God. I think we are informed beyond intelligence. That's our problem, okay? We have uh, allowed 
And by the way, I mean, if you look at the fact that the Bible says that Amalek Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived, you read even the book of Proverbs, you read the book of Ecclesiastes, and you will see his mentioning as well of God in control even of these types of things. So it's not just that we are smarter than, than these people were. And, and then, by the way, how can you then, uh, was Jesus less intelligent than we are? That yet he's the one that talks about God taking care of nature, etc. He sends the rain upon the wicked, upon the evil. We didn't deal with those aspects of it. But as far as he was concerned, his father was in control. And we cannot be more intelligent than he was, smarter than he is, because he's the omniscient God. So I think the problem with us is that we have uh, allowed the uh, academic secularization of our minds to the extent where we have excluded God. Uh, and I think that is one of the biggest problems we've, we've gotten. We've, we have, um, I don't know how else to put it, we've become uh, naturalistic in our thinking. Uh, because science, as it were, seemed to be able to answer questions that people are asking, and uh, therefore they've systematically eliminated God. But let me just say this, Nathan. All the great scientists that laid the foundation of modern science were Christians. And the reason why they laid the foundation, because they believed that God was in control. He made laws. So if he made laws, you can reason out those laws. You can find those laws out. And that's what motivated and propelled science to where it is today. But if it was, if they had actually believed that it's just random, by accident, by chance, there's no reason to try it because there's no reason behind anything else. That's true. So the, 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 uh, the, the Rationale behind modern science is the idea that there were fixed laws that God had made, right? But none of those uh, believers ever thought that that meant that God was not in control. Uh, those laws depended on God keeping those laws in place, but because God is dependable, that's how they saw it. So they never saw science in conflict with God. As a matter, they pursued science in order to glorify God. That was the whole purpose of these, these uh, scientists who laid the foundation. Today is the complete reverse. We, we, it, scientists are putting God out of the picture more and more and more and more. Although uh, God has um, clearly um, shown them, quite frankly, the nonsense of that, especially with the the uh, the DNA and the uh, the finding out exactly the order of it, etc. They now realize that within the, the cell, there's as much information as the, the whole volume of encyclopedia. And its information is not just raw data. It's in a particular order, it's a particular sequence. And that is bringing people back to what is called intelligent creation. Of course, the evolution is at war with that, uh, and so on. But again and again, scientists are waking up that it's far more complex than, than people thought. Darwin didn't have as much knowledge as a guy going to the state college to do A-levels in terms of biology and understanding uh, um, genes, etc., etc. So what he came up with, there was no, he didn't have the scientific facts. And unfortunately, because people have accepted this model, it's hard now to change. Imagine scientists coming up saying, we were all wrong. Imagine those big name fellows who have written books and therefore they continue holding to this hoax and keep perpetuating evidence after evidence but they become blinded willfully blinded to the truth and going down a, a trail that leads into greater darkness you're listening to that's truth on the caribbean radio lighthouse we're talking about the providence of god and what it means for your life in 2021 if you have a question we would love to hear you call in and ask your question live on the air by calling 268 462-7420. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, send it to 268-782-1454. I'm going to give those to you again. I know I gave them to you quickly. Live on the air, 
462-7420 or WhatsApp and text your question to 268-782-1454. Pastor, I think you were going to have me look up another reference. Yeah, quickly, I think you, you look at Job, you did look at Job 510, mm-hmm. right, uh, one other one, Job 3710. Job 37 and verse number 10 says, By the breath of God, frost is given, and by the breath of water, the waters is straightened. Yeah. Well, that's talking about the fact that um, the dew and the frost and also the snow, all of that is is part of of, of God's. um, Of course, he's using poetic language. But the whole idea is that they all saw that whether it be the rain or the snow or the waters in the mountains or the water in the valleys or taking care of the the creatures in the sea, etc. The all emphasis is there that God um, is in control and God is taking care of of uh, what he's, he's made. So the point we, of all of this, Nathan, is that we want people to understand that God is not just a repairman that comes in and a uh, celestial repairman that just comes in when there's a problem. He is superintending, he's controlling, he's directing, he's preserving, and there's not a um, an impersonal force of power that's keeping things together by some kind of magical laws. Uh, we have a personal, intelligent, good, purposeful, sovereign God uh, that is regulating and controlling everything uh, in nature. And uh, so therefore, the world functions in a rational way because there's a rational God behind all that is happening. Uh, he is uh, caring, he's preserving. That is part of his providential responsibility as, as, as a sovereign God. All right, Pastor. So I'm convinced about his preservation and the role of creation and creative order. But what about his second activity that you mentioned, introduced us to last week, and you mentioned it this this evening in your review, and that's the guiding and directing of world events towards his divine purpose. How extensive is this control that he has, and can you give us some proof? Well, if you check the scriptures, I mean, God has vast control over um, uh, the entire world, uh, and he is... His governmental control is asserted in Scripture again and again. As a matter of fact, uh, if we could uh, just look at some of these, uh, you'll find that there's seven areas that we can talk about where there's God's governmental activity in terms of not just preserving but also governing and controlling. Uh, For example, we want to talk about the fact that God controls nature. we also point out God controls the animal kingdom. Uh, You'll point out that as well. God controls human history. And God controls the circumstances of each individual life. God also uh, guides and controls what we might call accidental uh, occurrences. We'll try to show you uh, what people say is an accident. And then God controls and extends uh, control over the entire not just planet Earth, but the entire universe. And also, God's providence is also reflected in this control of human action, free action. And now this is one of the great mysteries. How can I be free and yet God influences my action? And the Bible just points out as well in several places that even though we're free, God does uh, control and guide. And there are different ways that he does it. Uh, but we are still free agents, but he tries, He influences our free decisions. We'll try to show you that in terms of God's control. 
So let's talk about the control of nature for just a moment. Look at Psalm 135, verse 5 to 7 for just a minute. All right, the book of Psalm. Get my bearings here. Psalm 135. Uh huh. Verse 5 to 7. Psalm 135, verse 5 to 7 says, For I know that the Lord is great, and that thou, our Lord, is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes the lightnings from the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Yeah, that is fairly, fairly extensive. Not just he mentioned the sea, making the sky, basically the animal kingdom. He is certainly there in, in complete control of uh, the elements of nature. They're being personified in that particular passage, but it's, it's emphasizing his, his control. In Matthew 5.45 as well, you notice that our Lord talks about um, that aspect of uh, God controlling uh, nature. Matthew 5, what verses? Verse 45. Verse, uh, there's not a verse. 15, four. verse should be verse, verse, verse 15. 15. All right. Sorry. Matthew 5, verse 15. There's a 45 in that Matthew 5? No, there's okay, not a verse 15. Okay, 15. All right. Matthew 5, 15 says, Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. No. Um, I got the wrong reference for it. That happens sometimes. Uh, but what it's talking about is that Jesus said that God sends the rain oh. on the good and the evil and yeah. the sun, etc., etc. In other words, uh, that is, is, is our Lord himself. This is not just man saying that, no. This is uh, our sovereign Lord, who is the God-man, uh, the Son of God. And he's making it very clear that the sun and the rain uh, is actually controlled by God, and he sent it. It's there is a 45. Okay. That was my bad. Okay, let read, me, read let it me, then. <laughs> let me back up a little. Read that. Matthew chapter 5, verse 45 says, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Okay. In our Lord's mind, there's no question who controls the sun, who controls the rain. I mean, how can we in any way uh, doubt the reality of this when the Lord himself is making such a statement, uh, etc.? But that gives you an idea. The other passage that we could look at, and uh, but I don't want to go down that line. Let me just use some dramatic examples that we have in the scriptures uh, that his control. For example, you remember in the life of Elijah where um, in, in the book of Kings, uh, Elijah told Ahab there'd be no rain for three and a half years. And uh, rain will only come at my command when God commands me. Now, if um, God is not in control and uh, how do you explain his capacity to withhold a holy drought for three and a half years. And the prophet had no doubt whatsoever. I mean, rain should fall every year, but for three and a half years, he was uh, uh, Ahab was told there'd be no rain in Israel. That shows you that God is in absolute control of the weather. No question about that. He sends rain. He withholds rain. That's within his, his, his control. Uh, we also know, for example, that in the case of Christ, um, 
we have an idea where you know he's able to still the storm he's God himself when the storm came he's in control of the storm uh, you remember the one where he told Peter go and catch a fish the first fish you could take out a coin think about that for just a moment he had to direct that fish exactly at that point and before he directed the fish had to take a, a, a coin from somewhere the coin had to be somewhere but that gives you the meticulous control that he can specify exactly where the fish is what it has in its mouth where you go to catch it and it is the exact amount of money you need to pay your taxes. That if that isn't control of the animal world and the kingdom world, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, I don't know what what is. What would you say to the listener that says, "But Pastor Murphy, I don't believe that those things really happen. Those were just there to kind of bolster your idea of God." Again, I say to people, if you if you don't believe that, you are actually um, impugning the the integrity and the character of Christ. So that's the first thing you got to realize. The moment you say you don't believe that, you are saying quite frankly that you don't believe in Christ, you're saying that Christ didn't speak truth, etc., etc. So, and, and when you when you come to that level of uh, disdain for uh, Christ, uh, I don't know what hope there is for you, to be very honest with you. Wow. We, we've got to realize that we've, we've got to accept that we either accept the Bible and follow the Bible and follow Christ, or we don't. Uh, I'm not going to get into any big argument with people about uh, what they don't believe, etc., etc. I will tell you what the Scripture teaches, give the basis why we believe the Bible is the Word of God. But ultimately, people have to make decisions. Uh, but to to uh, to deny such statements is to impugn the integrity of Christ and also impugn the integrity of the writer, which is the book of Matthew, etc. Uh, and uh, quite frankly, it is also in a very real sense to deny that God has communicated to us and given us His Word. So it's actually a challenge against uh, God's integrity, uh, ultimately. You were talking about the coin in the fish's mouth, and I think you were getting ready to give another example, maybe? Yeah. um, The other thing is that God is also in control of human history. He's not just in control of nature, but in control of human history. Uh, and there are many passages in Scripture that indicates that. Um, look at um, Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. Daniel 2.21 says, And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. Doesn't get much more plain. No, than that. I mean that is very, very, very plain. That the and, and then a, a, a dramatic illustration of this, by the way, is Daniel chapter four, verse twenty-four and twenty-five. Daniel four twenty-four and twenty-five says. This is the interpretation, O King, and this is the decree of the Most High, which is come upon my Lord, the King, that they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make them make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee. And thou wilt know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. Again, this is a dramatic example. Uh, Daniel chapter 2 says that God gives the kingdom to whoever, and he removes, etc. Here's a classic example where, because of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's pride and, and boast, um, he came under the judgment of God. And Daniel is able to tell him exactly what's going to happen to him, how long it's going to happen to him, and precisely uh, that he'll go into this kind of a maniacal stage where he's eating grass like an animal, etc., etc. That gives you an idea that God had put him on the throne, and now God demotes him because of his 
sprayed. So it's very, very clear in, in, its, in God's providential control, even of the great Babylonian empire, the great king of Babylon. Remember that he's projected as a gold. So that's the highest extreme sovereign power in terms of human control of, of uh, events, uh, historical events. Uh, the other thing is, Nathan, in Isaiah chapter 10, uh, verse 5 to 12, uh, notice how much control God has of the Assyrians in that passage. Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, the staff in their hand is my fury. Against a godless nation I send him, and against the people of my wrath I command him to take spoil and seize plunder, and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. But he does not so intend, and his heart does not so think. But it is in his heart to destroy and to cut off nations, not a few. For he says, Are not my commanders all kings? Is not Kalno like Charmeresh? Is not Hamath like Arpad? Is not Samaria like Damascus? What verse do you want me to go through? Uh, to verse 12. Verse 12. Okay, verse 10 says, As my hand has reached to the kingdoms of the idols, whose carved images were greater than those of Jerusalem and Samaria, shall I not do to Jerusalem and her idols as I have done to Samaria and her images? And verse 12, When the Lord has finished all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, he will punish the speech of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the boastful look in his eyes. Now take it. The prophet is saying God is using Assyria to chasten Israel. But after that chastening takes place, uh, Assyria goes beyond what God intended and ravages the, the, the nation of Israel. And he's saying, after you've done all of that, you're boasting about how you conquer the other people. So if I did that to them, now I can do it to Jerusalem. The Lord said, you know what? After I've allowed that, I'm going to turn around now and punish you. So here he's calling the great empire to punish Israel. And because of the atrocities against Israel, God, God says, you know what? Even if you use you as an instrument, I'm going to turn around now and deal with you. That gives you the absolute control that God has. He brings one nation against another, and then after that, he disciplines that nation that overreacts and goes beyond what God had intended. So again, uh, that is real, real uh, absolute control of nations. And then look at um, Acts chapter 7, verse 26, which I think is one of the most profound verses in the Scripture. Acts seven twenty-six says... And the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove, and would have set them at one again, saying, Sirs, ye are brethren, why... That is Acts 17? Sorry, I did Acts 7. Yeah. 17, 26. Acts 17, 26. 26. And hath made of one blood all nations, of men... For to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed, and the bounds of their inhabitation. Yeah, that's very, very clear. You know, look, I, I, I have a very different view than most people have when it comes to nations and so on. Uh, where nations are, what happened, history is God's story. And I know there have been a lot of atrocities that have taken place in history, but it's not without accident. 
England is where England is because that's what God determined. America is where America is because that's what God determined. Brazil is where Brazil is because that's what God determined. Antigua is where it is because that's what God determined. That's what the Bible is saying here. God decides the times. That is when one nation rises and becomes predominant and when one nation uh, loses its power. God decides the boundaries, the limitations, where people live within. So when I hear people uh, talking about of course there have been uh, atrocities no question about it but behind all of this it is not it didn't happen by accident and in most cases I would say in all cases it is part of divine God divine judgment in dealing with nations that's why God moves one nation removes another nation chasing one nation it is a moral law that runs the universe and when people commit and get away into idolatry and get involved in different kinds of atrocious sins. God brings chastening and one nation chasing another. So history cannot be understood apart from the sovereign God uh, directing the affairs of this world. Pastor, we have Codrington on the air. Codrington, thank you for calling and go ahead with your question, please. Yeah, thank you for um, answering me, because, you know, uh, maybe it's my mother, but I'm going to ask a question different from her, right? I'm going to ask this question. Um, I left the Bible. Um, I think Jesus said, um, must love your enemy and do good to them that hate you. Yeah. Like that, okay? Yes. All right. You know, Pilate is not the one who crucified Jesus Christ. He really have a power to do it. And because of the gene of his um, wife, he said it have nothing to do with this woman. So yes. when Pilate hand him over to the high priest and them now and let him crucify, I want to know which one of them is Jesus enemy. Which one is what? Yeah, but that, that that is that is something completely different. Uh, let me. Our Lord is talking dealing on a in a private matter. You have a person who is your enemy. He's suggesting to you that you do kindness to your enemy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But in in the, in the case here, where you're dealing with, um, you're dealing with people who are culpable in crucifying Christ. The, the, the high priest, for example, they crucified Christ, if you read the Gospels, because of envy. Our Lord was displacing their popularity and they were losing control of the people because people began to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that, rather than listen to him and follow what he was saying, that he's the Messiah, he had come, etc., etc., they developed this animosity uh, and malice between them and him because it was a matter of their losing their, their position and losing their power and losing their prestige and their control. And their pride was part of their problem. Rather than humble themselves before the Messiah and accept the Messiah for whatever, in the case of Pilate, Pilate is the one that could have made the decision to set Christ free. He realized that there was no charges that were legitimate. He himself said, this man is innocent. But the thing that made Pilate crucify our Lord, the people said, but if you, if you, if you let this man go, you're no longer Caesar's friend. So he's concerned about his political office now. He's going to lose his position if people say that this man would not carry out uh, you know, the, the, the laws of, of Rome. So he is allowing his politics to uh, control his decision-making. So on the one hand, you've got the Jews who are rejecting the Messiah, 
because they're losing their position, losing their power, losing their influence and their prestige. On the other hand, you've got a politician who's in position and who is scared to lose his position because people tell him, if you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. He's responsible. He's culpable. So these, both of these groups, the high priests and Pilate, are responsible for the death of Christ because their motivation, they knew he was innocent, and they willfully uh, have him crucified. So I, I'm trying to see the connection, what you're saying. What Paul is talking about, and our Lord don't love your enemies, uh, he's not saying that you love your enemies in the sense that you have good feelings towards your enemies. He's saying treat your enemy as you would want to be treated. So be kind to your enemy because you've got a person who hates you or speaks against you, whatever it is. Don't give them tic-tac for tack. Uh, you just be the Christian person you should be and treat them uh, as you want to be treated. So be kind to them. In the process of you being kind to them, the Bible says you're going to build coals of fire on their head. In other words, what you do when you do that is that you create in them an uneasiness that eventually leads to the breakdown of the animosity between you and them. That's the biblical way of dealing with it. As I have said many times on this program, the only way to change people's attitude and uh, feelings, feelings, sorry, is to change attitude and behavior. If you change attitude and behavior towards anybody, I don't care what bad feelings they have against you, that is God's principle of dealing with those matters, and that's a law built within humanity. That once a man's attitude towards me changes and his behavior towards me changes, even though I have the greatest dislike for him and the greatest animosity, it it it, it is it is uh, removed, and it uh, it becomes diluted. And before I know it, I develop a new respect for this person. That's how you deal with 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 people who hate you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Just that's the biblical way. You're welcome, sir, and thank you much for calling, Mr. Codrington. We appreciate that so much. Thank you for calling, Codrington. Pastor, uh, you know I always want uh, everything here to be based on the Bible, so I'm curious to have you comment on what does the Bible say about Mary? Is Mary our mother if we're a Christian? No, Mary is a human instrument. Uh, the Lord used an agent and a woman who made herself available uh, to give birth to Christ. But Mary is um, recognized in Scripture because of the fact that she became the mother of, the, of, of Jesus. She's not the mother of God. She's the mother of Jesus, okay? Um, and, and that speaks of his humanity. Our job in respect to Mary is, as we said, when we preach, we, we honor her when we preach and mention the sacrifice that she made. But there is nothing in Mary that it makes her any kind of a superhuman being. Mary was an ordinary woman or a Jew Jewish girl like anybody else. Uh, Mary was, was born a sinner like everybody else. There's no such thing as the Immaculate Conception. We're all born in sin. Mary was born in sin. There's no such thing as the assumption of Mary that when she dies, she was taken directly to heaven. All of this is mythology. We shouldn't pray to Mary. We should not pray to any woman. We should pray directly to God. Mary can't help us. And as she's no mediator between us and God. There's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. What I think has happened within the Catholic Church is that they have created something called Mariolatry, that people adore her, people worship her, people pray to her, people say that she has can get grace because she's the mother of Christ. She's somehow supposed to get into his favor. So if you want to get to Christ, you go to the mirror. All of this is mythology, just putting the... Uh, as a matter of fact, the whole reason why Jesus Christ became a man, the book of Hebrews tells us, is that he might become a sympathetic high priest, becoming a, a, a man, so he would understand human nature. Now we are saying, quite frankly, that he didn't understand human nature. 
intermediary. He wasn't a man, basically, and we need another intermediary between him and ourselves. All of this is unfortunate, uh, in my judgment, idolatry that is created with the Catholic Church. But they can't change because this is something they've been perpetuated now for centuries, and the Catholic Church has never changed its doctrine. It's very, very unfortunate people with an open Bible would not take the Bible on us, and there's only one mediator between God and man. We come to God through Jesus Christ. We don't come to God through Mary. We don't come to God through the saints or through angels. We come directly to God through Jesus Christ, nobody else. And any prayer that is offered to Mary will not be answered because God doesn't hear those kind of prayers. And I don't can't understand it for the life of me in, in, in a modern, enlightened, uh, open Bible situation that people still continue to hold to this false teaching, this false doctrine. It, it just baffles me. Uh, but that just gives you the blindness and the darkness that people are in and how much sometimes the church has pulled a cloak over people's eyes and to perpetuate an error that continues even today. A WhatsApp question that's come in from Antigua. Good night, gentlemen. I struggle with understanding God's will and the men of and men's will concerning salvation. Sometimes it seems it is up to us to where salvation is concerned, but then in the same breath, it is said God is sovereign over the man who is saved. You mentioned Cornelius searching for God and God directing and leading him to truth. While man has responsibility, God's sovereignty rules over all things, according, including our days in and outs. Is it wrong, is it a wrong thought to think that even the very moment we were saved and the circumstances from which we were saved is in accordance to God's divine will and his glory? Well, I don't think that anybody would dispute that, but let me tell you how um, I've been able to resolve that in a way that is, in my judgment, um, biblical and also satisfactory to my way of thinking. God, in dealing with humanity, has decided to deal with humanity on the basis of free will. Nobody can dispute that. There can be no moral creature without free will. God, in his sovereignty, has also decided that the gospel will be presented to people. And if a person believes the gospel, God will save that person. Okay? So God is sovereign. But in his sovereignty, he is he's, he, in his sovereignty. He has decided to deal with me on the basis of my free will. So when I exercise my free will and I hear the gospel and I believe the gospel, I am not going against God's will, because God in his sovereignty have decided from eternity that the person who believes and exercises free will to accept the gospel, he accepts him as, uh, into his family. To me, that resolves the problem. Uh, it doesn't absolve. It doesn't go contrary to his sovereignty because he could have chosen not to sovereignly deal with man on the basis of free will. But he chose to deal with man on the basis of free will. By the way, that explains to us why God is not responsible for sin. Hmm. Because if that were not true, and uh, it would mean that God, if you say that God causes everything, it means God caused sin too. Yeah. But the Bible says God cannot be tempted with evil, neither will tempt any man with evil. So how do you reconcile that? But from, from, from Genesis onward, you realize, realize that, realizes that Adam made a free choice. And God decided to deal with man on the basis of free will. So it, it helps me in that regard. However, let's be very honest with you. The Bible said, no man comes to the Father except through me, except the Father draws him. So God is actively involved in a person's salvation. And nobody is saved without God actively involved in a person's salvation. But how is God actively involved? God gets the gospel to you. 
That's how he's actually involved because if you have to hear the gospel and believe, God has to get the gospel to you. So when a preacher comes into your, your, your community and uh, he's preaching the gospel, God is bringing the glad tidings to you. He could not have come to you except God had sent him. So you have to understand, so he's now bringing, but now you have to respond. And that is where human responsibility comes in. No, we can't, we've got to be very, very careful. These are two parallel lines that we don't understand how they meet. But we must balance the idea of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And if man is not responsible, man cannot be blamed for rejecting the gospel. So if God makes me not be t- believe the gospel, not to be saved, I cannot be held responsible for not getting saved. I, 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 that helps me. And I, contrary to all that I've read and stuff and this kind of, to my mind, that satisfies my way of thinking. It makes God just, God's righteous. It makes God also a God of love because He's not willing that any should perish. Now, if He's not willing that any should perish, He does everything in His power to make sure nobody perishes. Right. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense to me, right? Christ tasted death for what? Every man. Now, if you knew that every man could not be saved, why would you taste death for every man? Right, so to me, uh, and I know that this, you know, the biggest issue between Calvinism, Arminism, Calvinists believe that everybody is born, either born to hell or hell, whatever it is, etc. Um, and they don't have the idea of man having this free will. Uh, for me, I have a difficulty that you are telling me I don't have a choice, and yet you turn around and punish me even though I don't have a choice. That cannot be just, that cannot be right, and that makes absolutely no sense in a moral universe whatsoever. Uh, imagine a thief who can't do anything but steal. No matter, he's, for the time he's born, he's born that he must steal, right? How then can I hold him responsible for, for, for those kind of actions? I think sometimes we make God a monster, and we've got to be very, very careful that we don't, in our design to, to keep God sovereign, we don't turn him into a monster where he has no compassion. And that would even contradict some of the other things that the Bible says. So what we te- we are taught in the Bible, that God is sovereign, man is responsible. We teach that God is sovereign, man is responsible. No man is saved without God moving uh, to, to get that man saved. But when God moves, that if that man does not respond, that man is not saved. right? And people say, well, you can't resist the Spirit. Who said that? What did what, what did uh, Stephen say to the, uh, in Acts? You always do resist the spirit. Hmm. You remember that uh, when he when they stoned him? Yeah, when he's preaching. Yeah, he he went down and said, "You always resist the spirit." So the reason why they say that because they believe in something called irresistible grace, right? They don't understand that man has the capacity to resist. Otherwise, man cannot be held responsible. So I don't know if it answers the question to the person. It probably would not. But for me. Um, I think that's the biblical way of understanding sovereignty and responsibility. God in His sovereignty has decided to deal with man on the basis of free will. Thank you to the individual who <coughs> sent in that question, and we trust that that was helpful. A WhatsApp question that has come in from Antigua. Can you please tell me more about the rapture? Well, I think we have a, a let Nathan give you a, 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 a program that we did on the rapture, but I would uh, just briefly say to you that the rapture is one of the great mysteries in the New Testament, and that's why it's called a mystery. Now, mystery is not something that is so profound that you can't understand it. A mystery is the truth that God has held back for the ages 
but once he has revealed it, it becomes so clear and so simple you can understand it. And the reason why the rapture is a mystery is because there was no church in the Old Testament. You've got Israel, and God made certain <coughs> promises to Israel. God made certain promises to the church. The rapture is a promise made to the church. It's not a promise made to Israel. And the rapture is the f- a promise that uh, there the is a generation that will not die that our Lord is going to return for His church. And when He returns for His church, we who are alive and well, uh, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we ourselves will be changed. And then we will go to be with the Lord. So it's a event that will take place that is going to be sudden, mysterious, but it is, He's coming back for the, the church, those who put their faith and trust in God, those who are dead and those who are alive. So they are going, there's going to be a generation that's not... Now, an illustration of the rapture, because there's always an Old Testament illustration of a, a New Testament truth, has to do with the case of Enoch. When God was going to bring judgment uh, on the flood, God removed Enoch before the flood, the flood came. Uh, we also have an example of that in taking Elijah without Elijah dying. Those are examples of what's taken away. That's what the word rapture means, to snatch up, literally. That's what it means. And that is taught in the Bible in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 4 and also in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You can read it there. So the, 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 the rapture relates to the church. It's been a mystery. And it's one of those New Testament ministry, mysteries that the Apostle Paul especially was given the... Um, responsibility of declaring that mystery. Pastor did two full episodes talking about the rapture verses as to why we believe the rapture and when it will take place. You can go to the That's Truth archive. There's a number of ways you can do it. The easiest is probably just to go to our website, www.radiolighthouse.org. Scroll down to the second large picture that you see. It's a picture of a microphone. And right in the center of your screen, you're going to see a circle that says podcast. Click on that. And then there will be a number of podcasts that we have here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Find the one for That's Truth. It'll list the latest episode. But there's also a link for That's Truth Archive. Click on the That's Truth Archive and go to episode 95 and 96 and those episodes are focused on the rapture I want to use an illustration here coming back to the the one about the um, sovereignty and human responsibility one of the great passages of scripture that that comes to my mind is when our Lord was talking and he was weeping over Jerusalem he said um, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem thou that killeth the prophets how often would I have gathered you under my wings as as a hen gathers her chicks and then he says I would but you would not so he's willing uh, to embrace them and bring them into the family of God. But he says, you would not. You have made the choice. That's your decision. I would not. If, if, if it is true that God's will will break through your will, imagine Jesus Christ, God himself, saying, I would, but you would not. Because he has decided to, in his sovereignty to deal with you on the basis of you choosing your, your will. You have to exercise your will. Nobody is saved without exercising their will. Right when I got the gospel, I had a decision to make. I came under conviction. I could have turned my back on the gospel. 
I could I could uh, have hardened myself against the gospel. But when I heard the gospel, that was God's responsibility to bring me under conviction. My responsibility now is to respond. I respond to the gospel. So I think that verse in particular comes, I would, but you would not. Again, the human will is the real barrier that is there. You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We're broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM and 92.3 FM. Still enough time for you to quickly send in your question. If you have a question you would like discussed, you can WhatsApp or text it to 268-782-1454, or you can call and be put live on the air, 268 462 7420. Pastor, you were talking about seven areas in which God shows his governance or control in guiding things. Talking about nature, the animal creation, and human history. Yeah. The other one I would like to uh, to deal with, Nathan, the fact that he controls the circumstances of individual lives. There are several passages that indicates that if you look at first Samuel chapter two, verse six and seven where uh, yeah verse 6 and 7 of chap first Samuel chapter 2 you've got Hannah who has been asking for a child and God gives her the child and then in her um praise of God uh, she makes some amazing statement uh, look at that, what she said in chapter 6 to 7 First Samuel chapter 2 verses 6 and 7 the Lord killeth and maketh alive he bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up the Lord maketh poor and maketh rich he bringeth low and lifteth up. Clearly, she's saying that whatever a person uh, is in life, whether it be poor, or rich, or whatever, it is God that controls that, right? Uh, and I, I, and and again, this would take a lot of the envy and a lot of the covetousness out of our lives if we recognize that. But because we live in a world where we uh, everything we are controlled by what people say, what people think, what the, the you know, we, our thinking is so alien to biblical thinking. But these people understood that, that nobody, uh, quite frankly, he, he controls life, he controls death, he controls poverty, he controls riches, etc., etc. Uh, look at also at um, Luke chapter 1, verse 52. Mary uh, made a similar expression when she was praising and glorifying God. In, 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 but Cardinal will love this. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and hath exalted them from low degree. Yeah, again, uh, she in her praise is saying that God exalts and God demotes. I mean, that's how these people view things. Uh, also, Galatians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. This is another amazing passage that, that uh, Paul talks about here, that he was set apart. Galatians 1, verse 15 and 16. Verse 15 and 16 says, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Again, the Apostle Paul is able to look back on his life and now that he's saved and now he's ministering and he's involved in preaching, he could look back and say, listen, from my mother's womb, God had chosen me to, to, do, to do this. So clearly when it comes to God's providence, it involves the controlling the circumstance of a person's life. Uh, another great passage, Nathan, is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 to 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 to 7. Verse 6 and 7. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, 
that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one another against one another. For who sees anything different in you that you do have that you do not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Again, the Apostle Paul is saying that we ought to live very humble lives and realize that whatever we are, whatever gift we have, is from God. So if, if God has given me a gift to be um, a, a great scientist or a great doctor, a great lawyer, I ought not to be puffed up like a peacock and be so proud that I can't condescend and, and, and uh, be humble myself. What do we have that we haven't received? This is the biblical concept that even my gifts, my circumstances, God is in control of that. He decides on these type of matters. And I've said this uh, many, many times. I don't have said it on the radio. The myth that you can be anything you want to be is just what it is, a myth. Okay? I want to repeat that. It sounds good. It's a good talking point. But what we need to recognize, we can be what God intends for us to be, what God made us to be. That would lead us to sometimes to be satisfied with, you know, some people cannot be a doctor. Some people cannot be a lawyer. Some people cannot be an IT person. They just don't have certain gifts and certain talents. Uh, you know, people don't have an idea. Everybody can be a Michael Jordan. People right. would agree with that. Yeah. Right? People do, you know. But when you say that everybody can be uh, Einstein or a doctor or whatever it is, people now say, but I can be anything I want to be. It's a myth. Not everybody got the muscles that um, these guys had and the skill that these guys have. They had a unique gift that was given to them. And, and that is where we need to understand that, that God makes us very, very unique. And whatever position we may hold or whatever mind we may have or brain we may have or a skill we may have, let us be humble servants and understand that we have received and not think that we are somehow uniquely, uh, we just, you know, we, we got those genes from, from God allow you to get those good genes, etc., etc. The other thing is Romans chapter 12, verse 3 to 6. Uh, you might want to read that. And um, it's talking about the gifts, quite frankly, if you just read that. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God hath assigned him. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Again, the Apostle Paul is saying that all we have, all the gifts we have, are grace gifts. God is the one that decides and dispenses what gift you have. And this is the folly of people saying, for example, that people must speak in tongues to have to know that you have the, the Holy Spirit and that you got the second blessing. Later on in Corinthians chapter 12, Paul would say, all do not speak in tongues today. And the answer, of course, the way it's structured in the language is a hypothetical question, but there's only one answer to it in the Greek language. No, no. quite frankly. Uh, so what we're saying here, quite frankly, that uh, part of God's control also relates to the control of our circumstances, our gifts, and our talents that we have. We've got to recognize that these are things that God has given to us, and God has uh, directed these things so that we have them. So therefore, pride should be eliminated, and we should all see ourselves as servants of God, and to be there to help and to assist and uh, with people to use our gifts in that direction. So that's another area, clearly, uh, as far as God is concerned. And the other thing, Nathan, is God's providential control also relates to what we would consider 
accidents or occurrences in life that people say that just happened quite frankly um, look at uh, look at proverbs 16:33 proverbs 16:33 says the lot is cast into the lap but the whole disposing thereof is of the lord of course it's referring to the old testament practice that if the priest wanted to know uh, any particular matter, he came to the Lord, and the Lord uh, told him to cast the lots. Uh, he would know exactly what the, what the Lord's will is, because the lot that was chosen would be the one that God had chosen. Now that seemed to be quite accidental. You just throw the lots, quite frankly, or you put your hand in the, in 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 in, uh, in a box and you take out a thing. It's a you know chance thing. But as far as the Book of Proverbs is concerned, when it comes to discerning God's will, God controlled the decision. Look at Jonah chapter one verse seven for just a moment, an illustration of this. Jonah 1 7 says, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lot, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Now we would say by chance. I mean, the way we, we where we think in this world, and the way we you know we've been conditioned to think, that's a chance thing. But that was no chance thing. I mean, Jonah was the one that was causing the storm. He had run away from the Lord's command, and uh, the people are wondering well, what's causing this storm, and they cast lots. And guess what? He's the one that is really, and it's very very clear from the, the story of Jonah that the Lord raised up the storm in order to, to get Jonah's attention. Of course, he's thrown overboard, he's swallowed by a whale, he's washed up, etc., and then he goes back on his mission. But again, notice that they use lots. Who is the one? Accidentally, is, is Jonah? In, in this case, quite frankly, it's very, very clear that the Lord directed that that lot would have been, uh, would have been Jonah's. Take Acts chapter 1, verse 23 to 26 as well. When they're choosing a new person to re- replace uh, Judas, Acts 1, 23-26 says, And they appointed two, Joseph called Barabbas, Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the heart of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. Verse 25 says, That he may take part of this ministry and the apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Again, this is this is the disciples want to know who to replace Judas, and in the case they're using the Old Testament method, quite frankly. And and, and again, who makes that decision? The lot is cast, and Judas's uh, Matthias's name is, is selected. Uh, the New Testament makes it very, very clear in the case here that this was God choosing Matthias as opposed to um, Barnabas, Barsabbath. Let me use a very classic example here, Nathan. Look at Exodus 21, verse 12 and 13. This is a fascinating verse, by the way. Exodus 21, 21, Exodus 20. 21 verse 12 and 13. Whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. But if he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place to which he may flee. Here is what you call manslaughter, accidental manslaughter. But in case here, they're saying that in this case, it is God that allowed it. 
It just didn't happen by accident. God allowed it, right? So this, what, what might see the accident here? Read it again and see very clearly. There's not somebody who deliberately planned to kill somebody because there was no recourse other than death for death. But this is somebody who was killed accidentally. And as far as it's concerned now, the person who killed this person accidentally is given a place of what? Refuge. But again, the reason why he's given a refuge because the Lord has allowed it to happen. You see, so it's not a deliberate act, but even in an accidental manslaughter in this case, God is still perceived as being active in this event. So what perceived as accidental occurrences in life, even this, the Bible indicates that God plays a part in it. He either uh, makes it happen or he allows it to happen. So he's in control. Uh, the other good example of this, uh, Nathan, is Mordecai. You remember when... Um, Mordecai and uh, when Haman came in the exact time when um, he was pleading for his life you remember that the king when he comes in he's in the lap of um, Esther pleading and when he comes in at that moment the king thinks he's trying to ravage his his, his wife who, who's Queen Esther and that makes the king even worse but why did it happen at that precise time? Uh, again we know that Haman was trying to destroy the Jews the drama of that is so interesting that when you look at that, that precise time when he's pleading, the king comes in and thinks, well, you mean even my presence, this man trying to ravish my wife? Even that is under the control of God because he is trying to destroy the Jews and God is going to deal with him to, that he is the one that suffers destruction. So what might seem an accidental thing? Uh, again, it is ordered and God is in control as far as that is concerned. So God's providence ex ex extends all, also to those things we consider to be accidental occurrences in life. You were talking, there was a number of passages there where you were talking about how they cast uh, uh, lots. lots. <laughs> Why at Grace Baptist Church or in 2021, do we not cast lots for like when we're selecting a pastor or a deacon as opposed to doing voting? Well, again, because we have in scriptures qualifications. Okay. Okay. Uh, there were no qualifications. The only qualification they had there, by the way, was, was one thing. You had to, had to witness resurrection. There are two people who witnessed resurrection there. That's what they were casting. In our case, you've got qualifications for deacons. You've got qualifications for, for pastors. So you have to, your criteria then, who meets those qualifications. The other thing that we got is that in the model that's given to us in Acts chapter 6, where they're selecting deacons. You remember the story? They say, choose you from among yourselves. And then they give the qualifications. As a result of these qualifications, now you vote these people into into. So that is the basis that we use today as opposed to using the lot system because we have required biblical qualifications of people and the people uh, who know these people best determine whether or not they've reached those qualifications. So in the last 20 seconds, is God still able to control the, the lot? Good question. <laughs> All I would say to you is that uh, God deals with us on a different level now. Uh, we've gotten more light, more understanding of how to deal with these things. And again, you've got the scriptures to guide us in those matters. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth.
Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.